Welcome to the Life on Repeat podcast with me, Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and dementia coach. I'm so happy that you found us. So hello, everyone. I'm really thrilled to have this guest on, Stacey Scheel Hirsch. Is a very dear friend of mine. I am so fortunate to get to know her and collaborate with her in, in a few different areas. And I'm really excited to talk to her. She is just, she has so much knowledge in so many areas in the field of healthcare and resilience. And so Stacy is a resilience coach. She's organizational wellness consultant and a trauma-informed mindfulness teacher. She is the founder of More Voices, LLC, a launch pad for creative projects and collaborations that aim to help the world live a more inspired story. Her projects include Life Takes Practice, which provides individual and workplace experiences for mindful, resilient living, and Pilgrimage Inside, an online free weekly meditation group. She's also the co-founder of Cultivate Retreats, a writing and meditation retreat for women. And additionally, she facilitates nervous system retraining groups through Fix Your Fatigue for people living with fatigue who want a comprehensive approach to optimizing their energy. Although an introvert who loves solitude, Stacey enjoys bringing people together, creating experiences, and being in connection. Stacy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here and talking about some of the things that we enjoy talking about together. <laughs> yes, we have spent many, many hours <laughs> that haven't been recorded. I wish we could have gone back in time and recorded so many of our conversations. Yeah. You know, just reading your um, description, your bio. I wanted to highlight all these different areas because I know that we could dive so deep when we're talking to listeners in all these different areas. So maybe we could just start out. I'd I'd love to just kind of pick your brain on, I know that you're doing some work, some recent work on something that's called resourcing. Mm -hmm. And I've been really curious myself about that. And I Maybe just tell us a little bit about what is what is resourcing, what's the work that you're looking at, and yeah, how how that might look for somebody who is caring for someone else and the stresses they might be experiencing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I'll give you a little bit and and then you can kind of yeah, we'll have a conversation. Yeah. yeah, because I think it's a big, big topic, and I want to acknowledge that from the start that it's a it's a large topic, but let's let's jump in and see, you know what happens. So for me, the, the resourcing part is linked to the trauma-informed piece and also the resilience work. And to define it more, I, I think it's lately what I've been thinking is it's another way of saying self-care, but it's almost more acceptable. I think people have had for a long time um, an issue with the term self-care. They find out, find it difficult to understand what it means and why they want to do it. And It feels a little bit like indulgent. I love that you bring that up. That's, that's something I am constantly trying to find another word for. I I feel like it is a word that's kind of overplayed and, and I love how you kind of touched on the fact that 
it feels like almost like it's a privilege to for for folks to experience this sort of self-care. I mean, how how many caregivers are out there that do not have the luxury of slowing down or taking a moment to quote provide self-care to themselves. And so this is really great to just learn about this new term. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think too that people can also feel especially in this culture but other cultures as well, you can feel like it's failing. You know, if I like self-care is a, it's a form of failure or I'm ashamed that I need care. Not everyone needs care. Why do I need care or self-care? And so I also, when I work with people, sometimes that comes across as well. Mm-hmm. And so the way resourcing makes sense for people is that when we start to look at resilience, so this ability to bounce back or this ability to you know make it through these difficult times, I think that this is really about the capacity. Like we need a capacity to bounce back. What's that unique mix of things that gives us the capacity to rebound? And so when you start to then say, okay, I need capacity. And that makes sense to me because, you know, an example would be try to do your job when you haven't had a night of sleep. You don't have the capacity. You can't think. You might be falling asleep physically. You might be more emotional. So you, you've lost your capacity because you lost the night of sleep. So it starts to make more sense. Like, oh, I do need a certain amount of capacity to live life. Where am I going to get that capacity? And everyone has a different amount of capacity and our capacity changes throughout life. And so when we think about the word resourcing versus self-care, it's like, how do I resource that capacity? You know, how do, like, if I didn't sleep and therefore I can't, do my job or I can't you know, give a presentation or teach a class or whatever that is um, because I didn't sleep. It's like, well, what's going to help me have the capacity to do that job. It's like, okay, there's a number of things. And I know from last night, not sleeping well, sleep's one of them, but it could also be our diet. It could be dehydration. So I need to drink more water. You know, there's a number of things. And then we can start to get into some of the other ways we resource, like through our social connections, through our physical environment, through our physical health. And so we can look at these different dimensions of wellness to look at like, oh, how, you know, what gives me that capacity? What makes that capacity larger and more, and it makes me more resilient. Yeah. And you know what I'm thinking of when you're, while you're talking too, is that so often we focus on the problem. Often it's an external problem. Like in our case, it might be our loved one has dementia. We can't take dementia away or, or there might be a challenging behavior or there might be a financial situation that can't be, you know, remedied that, well, I guess what I'm saying is it, it can feel like we're jumping over the whole, all of these options or the, what am I trying to say? The awareness of having capacity, like there's all these levels in between just jumping to the problem itself. And then not feeling like you can fix the problem because oftentimes these are unfixable problems. There, there's not a cure for dementia. There's not a magic pill sometimes that's going to help somebody's challenging behaviors. And so this idea of tapping into your capacity and your resourcing, your capacity resource gives you that sense of not control, but a sense of that you can do something to impact the outcome, that you have 
some sort of say and how things go. And yeah, yeah. And it could be, you know, how am I currently resourced internally? So what are my internal, you know, strengths, capacity, superpowers? Um, but it could be how am I resourced externally? And we're all resourced differently externally. And then it could also, you could look at in what what's missing. So what's that opportunity? So maybe I don't have all the resources I need, but by having this discussion with a coach or, you know, a consultant or myself, I can kind of see like, what am I building on? What's the strength that I'm building on? And then what do I want to reach for? So you gave the example about finances. Often what will happen is people will just start to think about the financial piece and they'll shut down or they just, it's too overwhelming and the overwhelms, you know, there's a part of it that's here in the moment, but there's also a part of it that's in the future. And that makes it really hard to, to and there's a huge un- unknown, right? Like there's a huge like unknown. So many people, yeah, none of us know how long someone's going to live or what type of care someone might need. Or yeah, there, there's just so much unknown that comes yeah. too. And I often talk about like, it's a combination of having complete acceptance in the moment for what is, but it's then also recognizing how you can resource yourself. Like, how can you, you know, have that agency, that sense of like, oh, I can also reach for support, Mm -hmm. but I accept it as it is. I'm not complacent though. You know, I can also, you know, I have resources and if I don't have what I need, I can identify that and reach for it, you know, or figure it out. And I think sometimes, you know, especially if we're tired, it's hard. That next step can be hard. Like, how do I have all these conversations and do all these things when I'm already really maxed out or I'm at a lack of capacity? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and for me, I think it starts with starting to identify what's already present. It's okay. This is good. Yeah. So if we, if we were to walk through just kind of um, introducing this concept to somebody and helping them apply it in their lives, that's what you're saying is you, you might start first with what already exists, what, what is yeah. capacity. So what questions would you ask and what, what would some examples be? I know you kind of touched on a couple of them already. Yeah. I would start with, you know, just seeing what their understanding of um, resiliences or wellnesses, you know, where are they with their current, you know, knowledge and practice of that and maybe what they've called self-care in the past or what they've disliked about that term. And then I would, you know, bring forth the the idea of having multiple dimensions of, of wellness. And so I talk about like social, emotional, mental, physical, environmental, those kinds of, you know, pieces and, and, and then see how they respond. You know, do you, you know, do you believe that health can come through all these different dimensions or, or wellness can come through all these dimensions? And then I'd start to say, so, and what, how do you think about these? So I, you know, gather a little bit more information and then I give some examples. Cause those, just those terms alone, people might be like, well, what's, what is social? So I would say, well, internally an internal resource is that do you value connection? Like what's your relationship to having connection in your life or having idea friendships? Who are your friends? Tell me about them. Cause some people have more access to connection and some people are more isolated you know, in my introduction, you read that I'm more of an introvert. So my relationship to connection is a little different, but these are all internal resources. You know, what's one of the important things in having, you know, this uh, connection piece is do I have a capacity to set healthy boundaries? 
you know, do I have good communication? Mm-hmm. Now that's an, if I have good communication, I can set good boundaries. That's an internal resource. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, do I feel comfortable giving support and receiving support? Mm-hmm. You know, that's an internal resource. External might be that I actually have a network of family and friends in place, or the opportunity might be, I haven't talked to some of those people in a while and I need to reconnect. So that's the opportunity. It's not quite there, but you could see that potential connections. I kind of started with one of the harder ones, (laughs) but because it is connections, it's that relational space is challenging for a lot of people. Well, and, and what an appropriate one really to start with when we're talking about caregivers, because that's, I mean, that is the loss. The loss of connection is so profound, whether we're talking about connection, like you said, with an external source, friends, family, that even if people are there, they may not understand, they may not really get it. And I know so many caregivers that really try to protect those relationships. And so they're not connecting authentically about their own experience because they don't want to lose, they don't want to lose what they do have, or they have lost those connections because uh, for a variety of reasons, but then also the connection with the, um, their loved one, um, that relationship is changing and it's changing every day. And it's kind of, sometimes it's unknown moment to moment. If your loved one, whether it's a spouse that you've had this deep connection with over the years, or it's a parent that can shift from moment to moment. But then the third piece that I think of is the connection with yourself. And I just hear so many caregivers talk about how they don't even remember who they were. They don't feel connected to themselves. And that, I think that sense of isolation in a way with connection on all of these levels is so profound. Yeah. Yeah. That you said so many things that I want to touch yeah, on. Jump in. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see what I remember, but I, I, you know, I think first was, I was thinking diversity of connection that you want kind of a diverse support group, you know, you, and that might be people that are within already your family and, and friends network, but I've also worked with people that they found amazing support through the, the groups they found after, you know, a diagnosis or after something emerged and that they would access those groups as a form of external resourcing and it changed their lives, but there has to be then a willingness to, again, coming back to internally, do I feel like I can receive support? You know, what's my relationship to that? So, you know, so much of who you already are is revealed by becoming a caregiver. It's just more intensified. Such a good point. Yeah. What, what I think of when you say that is this kind of overall trend that we see that that caregiver is the one who stepped up. The caregiver is the, the one in the family that did take responsibility. And I don't know. If there's been studies done, there probably has, but it just seems like those individuals are the the ones that, oh my gosh, my mind is going in all these directions. I'm thinking again, yeah. <laughs> financially, you know, they're the ones that are going to hurt financially and professionally. They, they're the ones that are sacrificing their own growth moving forward, whether that's they're the ones quitting the job or backing off or using their own money or using their own time or putting their own family, if they're raising families, 
you know, their families are, are certainly being impacted too. And of course, there's a gift, there's a, there's a piece that can, um, in all fairness, you know, we, we can reframe that as well. But yeah, these are such important points. Yeah. And I think the, the challenge with a conversation like this is like, we can feel all those different things, but it can be, you know, a listener could hear this and depending on their orientation to what we're saying, they could also dismiss it because we're not in a dialogue and we're not able to really discuss the nuances of different situations. But I would say, you know, coming back to that piece of caregiving, any, any kind of stressor kind of reveals who you you already are. It's that intensity sometimes that brings those things to the surface or makes them unbearable. But if we look at some of the developmental trauma pieces, we go through our early life and we take on these, we adapt, we adapt to our environment, we adapt to our family. And those adaptations by doing that, there's certain things that happen. You know, we disconnect from our lived experience. We override our needs, or we don't believe we have needs. We we learn to not trust people or we don't have good boundaries or we just separate. Like we just are, we don't have heart centered experiences. And so there's these ways that we adapt early on and, and then we carry that into our adulthood. And for some of us, we just kind of go around, like go through life and it's just, it's kind of in the middle. It, it's, it's okay. It's not great. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. And then something like this happens and we haven't really worked through some of those adaptations. You know, we haven't really understood like, oh, I get to have needs, or I can say no, or I can say yes from a very different place, like not because no one else is, but because it's aligned with my values and who I am. And so all of that, you know, in a crisis, all of that kind of comes to a head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about the, you know, when when you said we can choose, we can choose to have boundaries, we can choose to, you know, say yes or say no. And I'm thinking about those folks that feel that they don't have a choice, you know, where, where do you have choice? I mean, that's, that's something I just gave a talk about a portion of the talk was about the the point that we really do all have choice. We have choice in how we think about something or how we perceive something or whether or not we want to reframe it or, or not. We have a choice if we're going to get out of bed in the morning or not. I mean, that piece of empowerment. I think that 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 is really important for folks when they're in that level of, you talked about trauma, you you brought up the word trauma, and this is something actually I'm kind of pivoting a little bit here. So sorry. Can you speak a little, when you talk about being trauma informed, or I want our listeners to really understand why it might be important to recognize uh, or understand what trauma is or what it means and how that might be impacting their life during a time of high stress, like in a caregiving role. Yeah. 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 And I'll, I'll come right back to that, but I want to say that (laughs) I really like that piece that you just said about looking for choice, like seeing where we do have choice. And so that's the piece. The other piece that I do is this mindfulness component. And that's ultimately what mindfulness is. It's like, can you notice like when your attention has wandered away from choice or when you're not thinking you have choice and can you bring it back to all the ways you do have choice in that moment? Cause I think what often happens is, you know, where you put your attention grows. And if we're feeling really disempowered or if we're feeling like that struggle, it's not that 
it's that struggle's not real. It's absolutely real. But again, it's how we're thinking about it. And what, what are we growing? I like to say, what am I growing in this moment? What are you feeding? <laughs> what am I feeding? And you know, yeah. what, what's growing from that? And so, yeah, so I think that's just really important piece of it is that we can, we're able to talk about it kind of removed here because we're having this discussion in the moment. It's, it's much harder to do that when we're activated and that kind of gets to the trauma piece that you then brought up. And so there's ways that we get you know triggered or activated and in a situation, like a caregiver situation where we don't feel like we have choice, that could be a, a trigger, could bring things up again, things that maybe have always been there, mm-hmm. but it's when it's in these really tense situations that they become more vivid. Do you feel, I, I know I've had my own idea about this too. Do you feel that all, all of the stuff that gets activated is from a past experience or a past trauma? What are, yeah. What are your thoughts about that? When you say everything that gets activated, what? Well, I know that's kind of a, not a, a very well-formed question, but I'm thinking about an individual who might be put into a situation in which they have not ever been in before. And so it, it is completely new. It's not like they can go back in time and say, oh, this reminds me of when I was little or, you know, this thing happened to me. And, and as I'm saying that, I'm recognizing that it isn't about what's happening to you or the experience that you're living. It's the um, emotional experience that might be of the same flavor as a past experience. And so beautifully said, okay, <laughs> <laughs> you're making my job easier here. <laughs> I, I just think it's, you know, it's going to talk about that. Is that really the case? Is it not? Is it, where is life just hard or sucky? And maybe you have never felt that way before. There has never been an experience where these emotions, these raw emotions that are coming out. And so, you know, how do you categorize, do you categorize that as trauma because it hasn't happened in the past or is it, it certainly doesn't mitigate or take away the intensity of the felt experience. And so if it's, if it is something new like that, there's an opportunity that I would think that you to draw in some resources or draw into some, some resourcing to help with that. And so, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, I think the part, you know, and I don't know how much we can get into it right now, but I think the part I think about is one, I think, people have a very limited understanding of of what trauma is, you know, so it's not just the big shock traumas, like something, you know, we often think of uh, people coming back from war with PTSD. We think of that as trauma, or there's the ACEs study for, for people who are familiar with the adverse childhood experience study, which looked at pretty significant sources of abuse and neglect. And that's what we think of trauma. Most of the time when I'm working with people, I'm talking about the ways that we adapt as children. So it's more developmental so that it can be those significant stressors in the, in the family, but it can also be more subtle. And it's likely that most people have had some form of that in their life. And that's the population that I really speak to is kind of across the board. We've all experienced ways that we've limited who we are. We've made ourselves smaller at some time, at some point. 
and oftentimes, you know, our nerve, our nervous systems forming when we're children, when we're in our mother's womb, that's when our nervous systems forming and our nervous system is what keeps us safe. It's, it's what looks for cues of safety and it's what lets us know when there's danger. And so there's the nervous systems forming when we're in the womb. And then when we're born, there's this, all that there's a significant amount of time that's pre-verbal and there's time that we don't even remember but our nervous system remembers. And then there's what happens after that. That's an important yeah, concept. I I don't I don't think about that, but yeah, our nervous system. We you know, you hear that your body remembers, your, your cells remember, you know, you you hear that, you talk about that. But yeah, I love that example of the fact yeah. that your nervous system remembers and your nervous system will respond also because it remembers. Yeah. Without all the time, with many, oh, many times your conscious mind is not aware or trying to go in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. So the nervous system remembers and in, you know, the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system is what is changing your physiology. And so for people who have experienced stress, I would, you know, ask them, well, what did you experience? What was stressful? What did your body feel like? And some people might not even be able to, they're not even aware of their body. They're kind of out of the body for me, you know, for example, like if I'm um, super nervous, maybe I'm giving a talk or something, you know, my stomach will feel a certain way or I'll get my chest will be really tight. Or maybe I, my, I'll, I mean, there's a, a point in my career where I couldn't really even speak, you know, my throat would lock up and So those are specific physiologic cues that I know, but it's also, it's like my nervous system is reading the situation or the room. Even if I'm telling intellectually or, you know, mentally, like you're safe, everything's fine. The nervous system's kind of scanning the room. And then there's a narrative there that I may or may not be aware of. Right. You know, and so my job is to become more aware of that narrative and then to be in the present moment to really look for what is happening and how do I want to respond? Mm -hmm. And so that's where some of this like work that we can do around um, self-awareness, around um, kind of that inner environment, that internal experience some of that work, resourcing internally, but, but really doing that work so that we have a bigger toolkit. Right, right. You know, you're making me think of you're so experienced in working with folks who have fatigue and chronic fatigue. And, and I, so many caregivers, this sneaks up on them. I mean, not all the time. I mean, sometimes it is, you, you, there's a diagnosis, there's huge change. There can be this event, right. That catapults people into these, their new life situation. And sometimes it's just this slow, subtle decline that you look back over the last couple of years and or few years and realize, oh my gosh, this, my loved one has been changing slowly and I've been continually adapting and adjusting to that. And then you find yourself suddenly tired and exhausted. And there wasn't this big event that you can just point your finger at to say, oh, that triggered my (laughs) nervous system to go off. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that piece, the fatigue? And yeah, absolutely. Well, as someone who had chronic fatigue, that was how it was for me. It was the slow, it seemed like all of a sudden, but when I looked back, it was like, oh, this has been, I mean, I would say it's been happening for a few years, but when I really look back, it probably, I'm one of those people that probably started 
in my mom's womb, (laughs) you know, and it was again, that how the nervous system formed and the early cues and how I felt safe or there's danger in the environment. And so it was probably something that was happening for a really long time. And, and indefinitely, even if I didn't go all the way back to the womb, it was happening for a, a few, maybe five years. And I kept adapting. Like you said, that's the thing is you, we adapt, we're adaptable. It's a, it's a brilliance that we have, but when we're doing it and we're not aware that we're, we're doing it, it can also be our downfall. We can adapt further and further away from that kind of that energy, that life energy that we hold inside of us that, that you know, we call us. And so, yeah, I think that that that's often how it happens is that we, we continue to adapt. And then if a caregiver, now they're in that role of caregiver and they're fatigued now it's their health as well. And so going back to the start of our talk, that's, that's their capacity. Now their capacity has been diminished and they have more to take care of because they're not only taking care of a loved one, they're taking care of themselves. Yes. Yeah. And they may feel that for obvious reasons, you know, like the person they're taking care of, it's more important. So then they will not take care of themselves. For me with fatigue, I wasn't a parent yet. So I had a business though, and I had employees. So I did often, I showed up to work every day to take care of my, my business and then my employees and make sure they had income. But I also wasn't taking care of a little one at home. Like, I, you know, was later in life. So it can be a difficult situation to be in. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you brought that up too, because that's something that we talk so much about. And I realize again, it's, it sounds like a, a luxury or a privilege to say, take care of yourself, put the oxygen on yourself first before, you know, you, you care for your loved one. And, and I know caregivers out there, you hear this all the time. And, and I hope I mean, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm not someone here to tell people how to do things or what to do or, and there's gotta be a way, right? There's, there has to be a way that we can preserve the caregivers, you know, help folks at least just be aware of their capacity and what, what that looks like individually and uniquely to each person. And so if you could come up with a couple, just easy tips or ideas to help someone brainstorm a few ways that they might be able to tap into that. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. 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 I think the first thing is having some sort of mindful awareness practice, you know, just even orienting yourself towards that as a possible resource, because mindfulness is something you can do moment to moment. You, You don't have to like set time aside necessarily. Like you do it while you take care of your loved one. You do it while you wash the clothes and wash the dishes. What does that look like? Yeah. Give us an example. It's an intention. So when I take the laundry to the laundry room, I'm aware of my feet on the floor, my hands on the basket. I feel the softness of the clothes as I lower them into the washing machine. That's a way to start practicing mindfulness, which then translates into other areas of your life. It's not about the laundry, but it's about the laundry gives you an opportunity to practice. Uh, using your daily life, do using the the things that you're doing anyways to 
bring that awareness. I love that so much. Even just hearing you describe it, I just took a deep breath going, oh my gosh, that sounds so relaxing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so why is it? It's because oftentimes when we're doing laundry, we're thinking of what we just did before we did laundry and we're thinking about what we need to do next. And we're not even in this moment, which is exhausting. Yes. It's like, it's like time travel, but it's exhausting. You know, you're all you're in three different locations at once and you're not really present. And so if you want to, it's another way of like reclaiming your energy. Like when I'm doing the laundry, I'm doing laundry. I think a related one is that, yes, we have busy lives and we have a lot of demands on our time. So, you know, writing things down, even if you're not a list person, write things down because sometimes just getting them onto a piece of paper or typing them into the computer. I have a giant chalkboard in the kitchen just writing them down, that act alone can help you then let go enough to be more mindful. So you, when you're walking to the laundry, you know, those, all those things are on the paper. You don't have to carry them with you mm-hmm. to the washing machine along with your laundry. So even just that idea of you're setting those things down, you can feel the lightness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, just hearing you describe this helps me feel a little bit lighter. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so if this was a client session, you know, I'd say, so notice how that feels because this is present moment awareness. This is what it's like to be here in the moment. And, you know, and as you say it, I see you, the listeners can't see you, but I see your, you know, your face is lighter and you're smiling and you're using this action with your hand to show that, ah, I'm I'm exhaling. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so that's like, that's a immediate release that you're, that you're getting through that practice. Mm-hmm. And so, so then you start to notice that, you know, if I can do this while I'm doing the laundry, like what would that look like in a time of a little more challenge? You know, when I can't, maybe my, my loved one needs something and I'm trying to get dinner ready or so you can start playing with it in more complex interactions. Yeah. I really thank you for that. I, I, I hope that our listeners are also having a similar experience <laughs> of just imagining a few areas in my life where you are being pulled in different directions. Or, I mean, I talk to a lot of people too, where they, they say their lives maybe aren't as busy as some others, but the, the isolation that they feel is overwhelming. And, and we talked about that kind of at the beginning. And I'm wondering how would mindfulness help with a sense of feeling disconnected or isolated? Yeah. And I think you, you kind of alluded to some of this in the you know middle of our conversation around, you know, mindfulness would then give you that awareness in the moment that you're feeling isolated. Mm. And if we've thought about creating, I do this personal resource catalog where you can kind of go through and build a, a catalog of resources for yourself. So if you've done that, it's like, okay, now I notice I'm feeling it in the moment. What are my internal tools? How do I, am I disconnected from myself? Am I disconnected because my life looks different? Am I disconnected because I don't understand, you know, who I am right now? Or am I disconnected because I haven't reached out to a friend or I haven't heard from a family member? Did I skip my support group? What is the disconnect about? And so mindfulness would give you the cue that you're feeling something. You could also just acknowledge like, yeah, I also just, I feel lonely. I feel isolated right now. 
And then notice what is it like to feel that way? So that's like another level. So when I feel isolated, what narrative gets created? Get curious about the response or the the reaction. The reaction. Yeah. So for some people it's like, oh yeah, this is really hard. You know, I'm I'm putting my hand over my heart. I'm going, yeah, this moment's really hard. I need a little self-compassion here because I am isolated and I'm doing this really big job. So it could be that it could be that I'm not going to say that simple because self-compassion can be really hard, but it could also be, yeah, this is really hard. And I want to take this opportunity to resource through a friend or resource through some, someone in my network or reach out to someone like you and have a conversation and not think of it as just something that's on my to-do list, but think of that. What's, what's the capacity it's going to give me? Mm -hmm. How is it going to feel like it's recharging me? potentially. This is so great, Stacey. I'm going to be really excited to see what you develop from your work with this resourcing. Cause I, I love the term and I love the way that my mind reframes the self-care piece with resourcing. I, it's really helpful. And I'd love to see like some exercises. Like I, I'm such a tangible person. I like I'm visual. And so I love the idea you talked about cataloging those resources. And so, yeah, I'd be curious how some of our listeners might think about what a catalog of resources might look like or how they may tap into starting to pay attention to what that, that resourcing looks like. So, yeah, yeah let's, we, we can, um, let's do a workshop in the future and invite your, your listeners okay. in. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can do it in so many different ways. And one of my favorite ways is, you know, to do it more as like an art project. So people who are more artsy, but sometimes people, especially caregivers might not have time to get the paste out and the, <laughs> or find pictures online. And so the, you know, the easiest way is to just do it through a conversation and through sharing, and you can do that, you know, via zoom. So yeah, let's do that. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. And I think the other piece of this is just really Think of something in the world that doesn't require resourcing and how absurd it would be to not have it. So you can't build a building without resources. You know, you can't build your house without materials, you know, the resources you can't like, there's a number of things we can't do without things being resourced on, you know, like weightlifters can't lift weights without working on their, their muscles, like resourcing through their strength. And so if you start thinking Find something that's really absurd that you would never expect someone to do without being resourced. And then you start to see like, oh, but I'm doing this really, really meaningful and important job and not expecting that I would need to be resourced. It's so, oh yeah. I love one of the things I'm thinking of too, is it's always easier to look at other people than yourself. So pulling up examples of people you admire or people that you're, that you respect or start to break down their abilities to, to cope or their, their resourcing and then put it back on yourself too. I mean, I, I, I'm always a big believer that we can't recognize certain traits and others that we don't also possess ourselves. I, yeah. I think that that's a way of self-reflection is yeah. to look externally and then bring it internal too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. So you can also, yeah, you can look at someone who's doing it really well and then look at how they're resourced. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know? And then you might recognize those resources. <laughs> they yeah, might you might, 
yeah, you might see that you have that. And then you might also see that there might be some that you don't, but it's, that's the opportunity that we talked about in the beginning. It's like, well, that's really working well for them. But I think sometimes what we, you know, we also do is we look for specific things that, that set us apart. It's like a more of a comparison, you know, and then it, it goes down the wrong path. You know, it's, it, it doesn't leave us feeling good. And this, the idea of this is to find those positive emotions, because we know that when we can access those positive emotions, that we can layer on other positive emotions. And it, and then we start to attract other things like more levels of support, connection, it just builds, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just really important to, you know, I think that's the other piece. If, if you're looking for how to resource, that's why so many people in the past, you know, five years have talked about having a gratitude practice because mm-hmm. having a gratitude practice is a way of resourcing. And, you know, in the research, it shows like when you start to focus on what's working well, focus on, you know, what you, how you feel blessed that, that you're going to build other positive emotions. And that's, what's going to attract the, what you need for further resourcing. Absolutely agree with that. That's something that I love to talk about is that idea of rewiring your brain to look at what is working, what is going well, what that, if you were to journal about anything, it's what went well today. And and it can, I mean, you can find the simplest things, even if you've had the hardest day and it re it just reprograms your brain essentially, the more you do it. And I do this work with caregivers, um, professional caregivers that work in facilities when they um, are getting frustrated with a certain resident or client that is maybe having some challenges, it's it's this training those caregivers to think about the challenge differently, to think about how to reframe it, to, to think about what did go well with your interaction, what did go well today for that for that resident. And it and it just re, like I said, reframes the whole challenge. And so yeah, that's an important. Yeah. Yeah, And I think the other piece is, you know, and what is the opportunity, you know? So even if I can't, like, maybe I struggle to find what went well, or maybe I can find it, but there's a particular behavior I'm struggling to reframe. It's like, well, what's the opportunity? And that might be internal. It might not be that this, oh, this changes in some way. It's like, I'm going to learn greater patience. And that's actually a skill I really need. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's all, there's always this opportunity, but we might not really, I think oftentimes we're wanting something else. Like we think that it's, if this goes away, I'll be happy. Instead of, if I relate differently, I'll grow, learn and change. It's like, yeah, I I don't even want to look at that option. That's not what I want. I want it to go away and be different, which is fine, but just look at the motivation there or look at what you're needing. Cause yeah it's difficult. There's going to, yeah, there's something you're needing there. It might be understanding. It might need be a remedy or a fix, but then that comes back to that piece of what is it that you need or want? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not even conscious. It's just this like silent longing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Stacy, I, we could talk for hours and hours, which we have. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost track of time. Right? <laughs> I don't want to keep going too much longer. How can folks find out more about you? You you do such amazing work and it's made such an impact in so many people's lives. And so there, I know there's going to be people that are curious about how to learn more about what you're doing. So 
tell yeah. us. Yeah, you can visit any of my websites. So lifetakespractice.com. I also offer a free Saturday meditation that's on Zoom. Oh, so- yes. I'm glad you brought that up. I have attended a couple of those and I just want to encourage people. It's free and you you lead the most beautiful guided meditations. And for those of you that might feel that you may struggle with meditating or it's so easy to just turn it on and just listen to Stacy, she will guide <laughs> you. <laughs> You'll always feel better afterwards, but that's, thank you for bringing that one up. Can you say that again? Can you repeat how to find that? Yeah. So it's under pilgrimage inside on lifetakespractice.com. And the other thing I'd say about that is you don't have to be a meditator. Like it's, it's heavily guided and it, and it's on zoom and you don't have to turn your camera on. So even if you're someone who's fidgety or needs to move around, you can actually listen and no one's watching you. So it's a very safe place. And, and I, I keep it that way. Like no one, I never, you know, force anyone to turn their cameras on. It's all it's an opportunity if you want to converse or if you want to see other people, you can. And I think that's created a different environment for people to you know, give them an opportunity. The other thing is that we've been doing this since the pandemic began. And so we have, I don't know, over 80 recordings on Life Takes Practice. So you can also just do a recording of that. That's true. You can pull up the recording. I, I want to say the live ones, there's something about feeling part of a community or feeling without, like you said, you do not even have to turn your screen on or your sound on, but just to see the other people that are joining you at the same time. There's a feeling of of together, a feeling of support there and, and knowing that everyone is kind of has the same intention going through this meditation. So yeah, yeah, it's a very beautiful group. Yeah. They just, they've, they've shown up together and, and I'm, thank you for saying that because I, I often feel it's, it's less about me and more about this collective field that we're, we're creating. And there are caregivers in that group. (laughs) I know. Yeah. 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 And so it's, yeah, it's people have made friends, people have connected through this group and, and we're going to keep doing it for the foreseeable future and see what happens. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Stacy. I so appreciate it. And of course, we'll be in touch to see how your work continues to grow and, and bring these opportunities back to our listeners as well. So yeah, let's do it again soon. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have comments or would like to send us a message, you can send it to info at lifeonrepeatpodcast.com. Please also consider following us at Life on Repeat Podcast, either on Instagram or Facebook. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.